Uh, I, I like uh, preaching special holidays. Uh, I, I do. I, I like, I, I know a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers that uh, don't really care for these kind of special days in terms of preaching. Uh, but, but I like preaching Christmas. I like preaching Easter. I, I like special days. But you can imagine after having been at ch- one church for more than 12 years uh, that you might begin to feel a little anxiety and a little uncertainty about how you're going to package those special days in, in a creative and, and interesting way. And I was really, really feeling that last year. Uh, we had wrapped up our Christmas series uh, last year, and I was kind of talking in the office about, man, I have no idea uh, what I'm going to do next year, and I kind of like to know about a year in advance, um, so you'll be glad to know that Christmas next year is actually already done. Um, somebody gave me a great great idea for next year, but last year I wasn't in that position, and I was like, what are we going to do next year? And uh, we were talking in the office about, you know, you know, do you do a character study? Oh, we've done that like three or four times. Do you do, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the different takes on this? No, we've done that a couple times. What are we going to do? And, and Scott came up with this really interesting idea to me of that there are these different types of literature in the Bible, uh, and all of them point to the Christmas story. Every type of literature points to the Christmas story. And the more I thought about that idea, uh, the more I really loved it. So that's what we're doing uh, this year. And I want to kind of take just this first week, kind of walk you through uh, the, the series. Today, we're going to be uh, studying the idea of poetry. And this is the whimsical look of scripture, uh, poetry, kind of songwriting, and how that points us to Jesus. December 9th, we're going to look at a, a book of prophecy, uh, the bold statement, and how that points us to Jesus. Isaiah 7 is where we'll be that week. Uh, December 16th, there is a whole uh, type of literature in the Bible called wisdom literature. And um, Paul, the Apostle Paul will later communicate that Jesus exemplifies the, the look of wisdom. So December 16th, we're going to be in that. And then December 23rd, which is kind of our uh, special Sunday where we're asking everyone to invite family, invite friends. Uh, we're we're going to have a great romance concert that evening, but in, in the Sunday morning service, we're going to be talking about narrative, which is the storytelling aspect of the Bible and how the entire story of the Bible uh, points us to Jesus. So the original title uh, for this that I came up with uh, was Christmas Style, the style of literature, style of writing, and how it all points to Jesus. But as uh, Christmas approached, I began to feel in my heart that it was a little boring, uh, to be honest with you. Like, it just doesn't have any pep, any pizzazz, any creativity. And so somebody came up with the idea of Christmas couture, all right? And uh, I like that a whole lot better. So uh, we're going to be talking about the style of literature and the style of Christmas and how it points us to Jesus. You'll see some original artwork uh, by uh, Scott and Sarah's son, Seth. He's kind of done some original work for this series, uh, which we're appreciative of, uh, appreciative of, and uh, we're, we're excited for the series. So with that, let me go ahead and pray, and uh, then we'll get into the first week, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word, and there are a lot of different types of writing in, in the Bible, uh, but it is amazing to me that they all, they all point to your son, Jesus. So uh, as we get ready uh, to roll into Christmas, um, and uh, to, to, do, to do the whole Christmas thing this year, uh, we want to celebrate and think about Jesus because that's what it's all about. So uh, we thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Uh, amen. So poetry and songwriting, the whimsical side of Christmas, poetry, songwriting. Uh, when it comes to the Santa story, uh, poetry, songwriting, that, that whole thing has a uh, prevalent place in the Santa story. Tell me if you recognize this poem. I, I know you're going to. "'Twas the night before Christmas, 
went all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Right? The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums. Kind of a weird lyric, isn't it? Visions of sugar plums danced in their head. I don't know that I've ever dreamt of sugar plums. But anyway, um, anyway, all right, so the, the, the poem, the poem, I got kind of sidetracked there. The, the, the poem was originally uh, titled A Visit from St. Nicholas. It would later be called uh, The Night Before Christmas. And uh, from its very first line, uh, it has pointed to the Santa story. You, you may not know this. I'll, I'll share a quote with you. But a lot of our conceptions of Santa, a lot of our conceptions of that story come from this poem that was published in 1823. Here's how Wikipedia says it. And you know it's true if it's on Wikipedia, all right? Um, <clears throat> the poem has been called arguably the best known verse ever written by an American. And it's largely responsible for some of the conceptions of Santa Claus from the mid-19th century to today. It had a massive impact on the history of Christmas gift giving. Uh, before the poem gained wide popularity, American ideas had varied considerably about St. Nicholas and other Christmastide visitors. A visit from St. Nick eventually was set to music and has been recorded by many artists. So this one poem, this one later song, would have a massive impact on the way we view Santa Claus, the way we view the Christmas story in, in, in that way, that we get a lot of it from this one um, poem. And, you know, we, we know now that music and poetry have a huge impact on the holiday season. We were driving home uh, from Thanksgiving. We follow the Scott Monette rule of Christmas music that we start listening to it post-Thanksgiving. Um, so Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, we're listening to, to Christmas music and we had on Darius Rucker uh, and his Christmas album. You're welcome. You will not regret downloading it. Uh, there, there's actually, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but there's actually a, a version of the Grinch on that album that is really, really fun and you had to listen to it. Um, but poetry, songwriting, it has a huge impact on our, on our holiday season. And what is true of Santa Claus is true about Jesus times a thousand and, and even more, right? Think about the thousands and thousands and thousands of songs and poems that have been written about Jesus since he walked the earth that tell the story of Christmas. Think about all the songs that you know, and I kind of cut this part of the sermon out because we're going to talk about this later on in the series, but there are a lot of songs about Christmas, uh, about Jesus, and, and about his, his birth. And today, it's not the first that's ever was ever written, uh, but today we're going to look at one of the early songs uh, about Jesus. It appears in your Bible in Psalm chapter two, uh, Psalm chapter two, and uh, we're we're going to study one of the early songs, one of the early poems about Jesus. Now this fits under a category of literature uh, called a, a, a messianic psalm. And, and kind of give you a tutorial while, while, while you're turning to, to Psalm 2. But when, whenever you're studying a messianic uh, uh, piece of literature, which is a literature that obviously points to the Messiah, right? right? Kind of uh, an obvious statement there. But uh, anytime you're studying a messianic piece of literature, what, what you want to know is that th that literature had meaning the moment it was written. So David wrote Psalm 2. And so David is thinking about something going on in the present, probably in his own life, as he wrote this psalm. And we're not going to talk a ton about that today. I, I, I want you to know that. But I do want you to know that Psalm 2 had a meaning to David. But when the Holy Spirit kind of inspired the scripture in this kind of beautiful and whimsical way, 
The Holy Spirit knew that years later we would read this poem, we would read this song, and we would see Jesus in it. And to me, that is the height of whimsy. It's the height of beautiful. It's a really cool thing. And we are those people, right? David, had a, David didn't have a, a, a ton of thought about Jesus and what all that would look like. He couldn't have known that. But the Holy Spirit did. And we are the people that get to read this poem all these years later. And we get to see Jesus in this poem. And we're going to see Jesus in this poem. As I read it, uh, I, I think Jesus is all over it in a beautiful, profound, and yes, even whimsical way. So let me read it to you. Uh, Psalm 2. <clears throat> we'll read part of it. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains, let us throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them uh, with the rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, uh, and your way will lead you to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So this text, this poem, is describing the rulers and the kings of the age and how they're going to respond to the king's anointed to the king's son. And look at how, how some of this is described in the poem. They're gonna, dis, they're gonna conspire. Uh, they're gonna plot. They're gonna rise up a, against him. And if you know the story of Jesus, you know that from the very beginning, this is part of the Jesus story. That the kings of this earth plot and conspire against him. Even, even in the birth story, even in the Christmas story, you may remember the Magi. They're, they're coming through on their way to visit the Christ child. And they stop and they visit uh, with uh, the king of the Jews, Herod. And uh, he was kind of a puppet king uh, over the Jews. He reported to Rome, uh, kind of played both both sides of that coin, but they stopped to talk to him and they said, we have seen the star in the east and we have come to worship the king of the Jews. And in one of the great texts of, of the Jesus narrative, it says, Herod was greatly disturbed. I bet he was because he was the king of the Jews. And so he says, hey, go find this baby that has been born king of the Jews. Come back and report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And of course, you may remember the story that the Magi are warned in a dream not to do that, not to return, because we know that Herod uh, was threatened by Jesus and wanted to kill him. And so they, they, don't, they don't return to Herod. And here's how the text says what happens next. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Babylon and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. The kings of the earth rise up and the nations conspire in vain. Uh, you see it in the Christmas story. I think you see it in the Easter story as well, where Jewish leaders are conspiring with Roman leaders to falsely accuse Jesus and, and lead him to his death and, and to, the, to his death on the cross. The nations conspire in vain. The kings of the earth 
rise up. And I love what the text says. The text says that God sees this unfolding. And look at what it says. I'll put it on the screen for you. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. And it's not because he thinks it's funny, right? There's nothing funny about this. He doesn't think it's funny. It's, uh, we find out later he rebukes the, the kings. His wrath turns on them. He is laughing because it's silly, What they're trying to do, rise up against the Lord, rise up against his son. What they're trying to do is impossible. And so I want you to see there is a difference between laughing at something because it's silly and laughing at something because it's ha-ha funny. So we have an evening ritual at our house. Uh, Sam uh, goes upstairs to get ready for bed. Uh, we, he tries to go to the bathroom, uh, and then we brush teeth, all right? And uh, Sam, he's seven years old. He does not like to have his teeth brushed, right? Uh, he just doesn't. And so sometimes it goes fine. Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes he gets a little something in his mind about not wanting his teeth brushed. And so usually the way, the way this plays out, when you can see it's going to be a problem, is we'll be walking up the stairs and he'll kind of be grousing about, I don't want to brush my teeth or whatever. And, he, and then he'll say something like this. No matter what anybody says, I'm not brushing my teeth tonight. Right? No matter what you say, I am not brushing my teeth tonight. And I'll start to laugh. Not because I think it's funny. I'm actually quite irritated, right? I I don't think it's funny. I am laughing because here's what I know. He's brushing his teeth. And I will take away his flashlight. He gets to have a flashlight in bed and read before he goes to sleep. I'll take his flashlight. I'll take the books. I'll, I'll do whatever. He's brushing his teeth. And so I'm laughing because of the foolishness of what he's saying. He's going to brush his teeth. And this is exactly how the text plays out. God rebukes the kings. He rebukes the rulers of the day. And then he installs his king on the throne anyway, right? He laughs because they can't stop him. And I love Christmas, but I think um, this is one of those things that gets kind of lost in the narrative of the Christmas baby, Right? We have a one-year-old in, in our house, and I was here uh, helping kind of deck the halls and all that. I played a very minor role in it, but I was here, and I, I brought Sam home after lunch. And uh, I, w- I was there, and uh, uh, Lila was standing, uh, our one-year-old was standing right by the kind of table in the middle of the room, and she's holding it. And Cheryl went into the other room just for a second, and all of a sudden, like, Lila lets go of that table. And she looks to where Cheryl is in the next room, and she... And then she sat down. And, I was like, and, and it just happened to be while we were all there. I was like, she just took her first steps. She, yeah, yeah, everybody look, everybody look, right? Babies are cute. <laughs> right? I do that every day. Nobody celebrates me. You know, I get out of bed at <laughs> breakfast. I need breakfast. Nobody's, no, nobody's applauding me. Nobody's celebrating. Babies are cute. And babies are fun. And this is one of the things that gets lost in the baby narrative, is that this baby came to be a king. That the baby in the manger, he is our king. Yes, I'm sure Jesus was a very cute baby. I'm, I'm assuming he was. We're not told much about that. You're, I mean, assuming, and we, learning to talk, learning to walk, all of that's very cute. But let's not lose sight of the fact that he is our king. He came to be a king. And for much of Jesus' ministry, he's demonstrating this this very truth, that he is our king. From the minute he started preaching and teaching, you know what the crowds would sometimes say about Jesus? Nobody ever talked with this authority. 
Nobody ever preached. Nobody ever taught like Jesus taught. He would do these miracles where he's healing people of their disease. He's raising people from the dead. He's turning water into wine. The ultimate example of this is when those leaders of the earth conspired against him and led him to his death. Three days later, he rose from the dead. All power, all authority is given to him. He is our king. He is our king. And so one of the things this beautiful piece of literature teaches us is how do you respond to that this Christmas? How do you respond to your king? And the the poem gives us kind of three ideas. It says, first of all, be wise. Be wise. You may not know this is a key component of our teaching to kids zone, to our elementary age kids. We are teaching your kids that yes, Jesus is our king. He is our wise king. Right? Jesus is full of wisdom. We're going to talk about this in our series. He is our wise king. So we walk in wisdom by listening to him. Right? We, we listen to him. We obey him. We do what he says because we believe he's leading us to life. He is wise. So we are wise. The second thing it says is serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. That when you recognize Jesus as your king, you adopt this posture of servant. It's like, well, if he's our king, if he's the Lord, then Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to treat my enemies? How do you want me to treat my spouse? How do you want me to treat my family? How do you want me to behave at Christmas? Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to serve? God, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you today? And this is a great time of year, I think, to begin to introduce Jesus and to make his name known in the community because everyone, whether they realize it or not, everybody is pointed in Jesus' direction right now. Everybody's kind of thinking about Christmas. Everybody's th- and so this is just a great time to introduce Jesus into the conversation, introduce church into the conversation, invite somebody to uh, the, the, the last Sunday of this series, December uh, 23rd. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> in my notes somewhere, but I've lost, I'm way off my notes at this point. So um, December 23rd, invite someone to that service and to, we're going to have a concert that evening. So December 23rd, we're going to have a great romance concert here at the church. That morning in church, we have a gift for everyone. We do this every year, but we have a gift for everyone related to that concert. So make sure you're here the morning of the 23rd. Come back for the concert at at night. This is a great time to just be thinking about how can I make, how can I serve the Lord? How can I make his name known in a better and better way? And then the last thing he says is celebrate his rule. Celebrate his rule. Man, I love this time of year. It is a month-long celebration. Uh, and I get, yeah, I'm not, you know, I was born in the morning. It wasn't yesterday morning. So I, I get that a lot of this is about Santa in our society. A lot of it's about family. But as a Christian, if you're a Christian, this is a time for us to celebrate the rule and reign of Jesus. That he is a good, wise, and incredible king. And I am not anti, you know, I don't, I don't have a huge problem with Santa. Comes down the chimney, brings me gifts. It's a cool thing. All right, so... Um, I, I don't think we ought to lose perspective and kind of become an enemy of all that other stuff, but we certainly want to keep perspective that this day is about Jesus. So over the course of the next month, you're going to hear a lot of people say, Merry Christmas. And I, I get that. Um, what started to happen in our society is a lot of people have started to say happy holidays. And I just want to have a side on that just for a minute. All right. That does not overly bother me. I don't know, maybe it does you, but when somebody at Walmart or whatever wishes me a happy holiday, for me as a Christian, this season is about Jesus. But if somebody's Jewish or somebody's of another religion, I want them to have a happy holiday. All right, don't you? I want, I want them to enjoy their time with their family and friends. So happy holidays does not 
overly bother me. I know that as a Christian, for me, this is about Jesus and this is about celebrating his rule and, and his reign. That being said, David, the writer of this poem, I think he hits on something really profound that goes beyond Merry Christmas. And here's what he says. Excuse me, I've got this month-long kind of crud, but uh, we're working through it. All right, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Blessing is an interesting word because it harkens back to this day when the head of a household, a father, would be getting ready to pass away and he would call his children in one by one and he would say to them, I wanna give you a blessing. I wanna give you an inheritance and he would pass that on to them. And so this idea of blessing, here's what it means. It is something you can only receive from your father, from your heavenly father. Blessing is something you can only get from him. So there's a lot of ways to be merry. There's a lot of ways to be happy. There's a lot of things that make me happy. But I love this word blessing because blessing is something that comes from God alone. And here's why I like, I'm not trying to change culture or anything, but here's what I like about have a blessed Christmas, right? I get it's not as whimsical, all right? But here's what I like about it is that I know for a lot of people, this time of year is not particularly merry, it's not particularly happy. And for, you know, we try to force that on everybody. You know, even the commercials that I'm watching now, it's like you, you watch a commercial like for, for a car or whatever that, first of all, who's giving a car to somebody on Christmas morning? But anyway, um, side rant. All right, so you're watching these commercials and it's like, I've lost track of the number of times I've heard this phrase. Make this Christmas the most magical Christmas ever. That's a lot of pressure, right? My daughter's one. She's not even going to remember this Christmas, all right? It is a lot of pressure. And so I want us to drop, and here's what I want you to know. If this, Chris, if this is like one of the greatest Christmases, if this is a Christmas where you're down in the dumps, blessing from your heavenly father, blessing is available to everyone. So my prayer for you, and it's just true for all of us, for those of us that put our refuge in Jesus, for those of us that are put our faith in Jesus, there is spiritual blessing for every single one of us. So no matter what your state of mind is this year, there is blessing available to you. Um, we're going to study um, the first... Uh, uh, quarter of next year, right, right up until right around Easter, we're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount next year, um, just kind of working through that text. And I want to share with you the very beginning of that sermon, and I'm not going to full-on preach it. I am a little bit, but I'm not going to full-on preach it because we're going to be doing it in, in, uh, in about a month. But I want to share with you, because Jesus talks about this idea. Jesus talks about how if you'll find your refuge in him, Blessing is available to you. And it's so much better than Mary, uh, M-E-R-R-Y, right? It's, it's so much better than that because Mary meant happiness can come and go. You know, you, you get the gift you're hoping for. You don't get the gift. You're, it comes and it's go. A lot of things make me happy. A lot, a lot of things make me sad. It comes and it goes, but blessing from God, it's from him. No one can take it away. It is so much better than merriment. So here's what Jesus says on this, and this is an all play. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, blessing is available to you. Here's what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To those in this room that are discouraged and distraught, to those, of the, to those that feel like they don't have a place, to those that are poor in their spirit, Jesus gives you, he wants to give you the, his blessing, that you are welcome at his table. 
You are welcome at his table. You are loved by him, and he is your God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To those that are mourning this December, nobody, nobody up here wants to take that away from you, right? That's kind of the Christmas message, to be happy, right? Find happiness. We're going to be happy no matter what. No, no. To those that are mourning, in your mourning, you're mourning the loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, your heavenly father, G- Jesus, wants to give you a blessing, the blessing of comfort, that he promises to invade your situation with his grace and comfort you in a, in a profound and beautiful way. Blessed are those who are meek, they will inherit the earth. To those that are meek and humble, to those that feel like they don't have a voice, to those that feel unlistened to, your inheritance is the earth, right? Pretty good inheritance, right? You inherit the earth. And what it means is that God sees, God sees what the power brokers of this earth have done. And God sees the meek and the humble and all things will be made right in the end. That is your blessing. Everything will be made right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. To the person who has made the decision that their life is all about hungering and thirsting for what is right, not the accumulation of stuff, not the accumulation of things, not the accumulation of possessions, your blessing from your heavenly father, your blessing is satisfaction in him. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. To the person who is quick to forgive and quick to let go and quick to show mercy, you have given, uh, you have given up the need to defeat others. You have given up the need to be right. You have given up the need to win the war. Mercy will come back to you in a profound and amazing way. This is your blessing from your heavenly father. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. To the person who has chosen to live a pure life, your blessing is clarity. That the windshield of your night life is not cloudy or dirty by impure things. Your blessing is the ability to see God in a way that many others cannot. That is your blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Right? This sounds like a really bad Christmas. Right? If this is happening to you, this is a really bad Christmas. But blessing is still available. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. To the person who strives to make peace. To the person who doesn't stir up drama. Amen? To the person who shows grace. You are blessed. You are most like your heavenly father when you show grace and you're a peacemaker. Great is your reward. So I'm not doing this beyond today, really. I'm not, I'm not trying to change culture, but here's what I want to say to you. I'm not, I'm not going to say this the whole season because I, I think it, I, I would start to come off in a way that I don't want to come off, but have a blessed Christmas. Right? I'm not going to do it beyond today because I think people say, Steve's acting weird. All right? It's Merry Christmas. He, he's got to know that, right? He knows it's Merry Christmas, right? Now, have a blessed Christmas. And that's to, to those that are mourning and to those that are in pain, to those that are struggling. Blessing is still available to you. Jesus has a blessing for you. And no one can take it away from you because it's from God alone. It's from Jesus a- a- alone. And I get that have a blessed Christmas. You're not going to find it on a ton of cards. It's not as whimsical or poetic, but I like it. Because when you accept this baby in the manger as king, it changes everything. And we receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing as a result of that decision. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you for the blessing that is Jesus. And I don't know what the situations are, all of them in this room. I'm sure that there are people in this room that this may be the the greatest Christmas they've ever had. And I'm sure there's people in this room that are like, I cannot wait for January to roll around. I just want this to be done. Blessing is available to both of us. It's kind of a cool all play that you've given us. So as we get ready to move into a time of communion and we celebrate the greatest blessing you've ever given us, may we leave this room later and may we feel blessed by you. Regardless of our situation, regardless of our station, may we feel blessed by you because you are a God of blessing. You you bless in incredible ways. So we thank you for Jesus. We do want to have a blessed Christmas. Everybody else is seeking happiness and merriment. And that's fine. A lot of things make me happy. But no one can touch blessing. It's so much better. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to receive communion right now together. And it's a time for us to celebrate the greatest blessing God gave his one and only son so that we could be made right with him in this life and in the next. Our sins could be forgiven and we could know God. Greatest blessing that we have. And it's an all play. It's for everybody that puts their faith in Jesus. This is a blessing that you receive, that you get to know God. You were created for this and you get to know God. You get to worship him. You get to pray to him. There's no need for a priest between you and God. You can know him on a personal level. It's an incredible blessing, and it's for everyone that puts their faith in Jesus. So we're gonna, you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood, that he went to the cross. The wages of sin is death, and he went to the cross, and he paid, he, he took my place. He paid my penalty so that I could be made right with God. What a great blessing it is. So we'll pass out uh, the bread and the juice. You just hold on to those cups. Celebrate his grace celebrate what he has done, and I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive it together as a church family.